subject of the evening talk is the self-image. One of the things which I've noticed both over the weekend and during this retreat is the number of people who are expressing somewhat similar symptoms. And the characteristic is that quite a few of you are involved in (coughs) one way or another in one of the we would describe these days as the helping professions. And in such work, there's an extraordinary degree of demand which is made upon the individual. And because of all the disorder, suffering, pain, fragmentation within the society, people who are one of those who who are engaged in service find themselves, you find yourselves, faced with extraordinary demands, tremendous pressure day in, day out from individuals and from organizations who are in need of help in some form or other. And so from within, there is a a reaching out to such people, a reaching out which is to give direction, is to enable or to contribute the individual to working on himself or herself. But in the course of that reaching out, not just for a few hours, not just for a a day, but in the course of that reaching out, day in and day out, there is of course a price to be paid. And the price is often personal stress. It is often feelings of exhaustion, tiredness, irritability, problems, confusion in one's personal life, personal relationships, um, and generally an increase in the degree of personal difficulty in coping with some of the life situations. And quite a number of you have been referring to this directly and indirectly over the days. And one of the things which seems to me to be occurring is that there's an infrequent, sorry, there is a frequency of this kind of situation. And that I can't recall, except over, over the last year or so, just the actual number, the high number of people who are experiencing stress, tension, burnout, and who are engaged in serving of others in some capacity or other. And in that respect, it's becoming really quite necessary, if not urgent, for such people to be able to find within their social situation, within the social reality, ways and means to gain renewal and gain uh, 
resources within to be able to cope and manage effectively the tremendous pressures which are pla placed upon people engaged in doing for others. In all of this uh, air area and in many other areas which are at work, one of the things which has a connection with it is of course self-image. And what the image which we have of ourselves means both to ourselves and it means to others. And one of the tendencies <coughs> in this uh, reaching out to others, and it's in the best motive, the motive of the wish to help, in that reaching out to others, there is also accompanying with it the wish to please. One wishes to please someone else. And in that giving of that expression to that, again and again, one's, as the old um, proverb goes in English, um, the road to hell is lined with good intentions. So there's this generating of, of, of goodness towards other people, there's the extending of oneself, and the result is suffering for oneself. And as I say, it seems to me that w within the context of these uh, activities, it's necessary, both for oneself as much as for others, to find ways and means in, a, in, a, in one's working, living situation to keep in touch, not only with others, but equally, and one might say simultaneously, with oneself. Or to put it in another way, um, this continuity of this difficulty is another way of saying that what happens is that the helpers need help. <coughs> and all of us are faced with this uh, situation of finding ways and means to keep the balance in our, in our relationship to life, in our relationship to others. So when you come into a meditation retreat and therefore the focus has done a complete about turn and one has come right back to the, the fact of oneself, it may well be that there are, there are feelings of acute exhaustion, tiredness, upset, irritability, all those rather typical syndromes which take place. And to some extent, one really has to regard that as the fruit of those previous activities. That something really, which is some, to some degree or other, unavoidable if one is leading one's life in such a way that we are with great frequency, day in, day out, extending ourselves. Because when we do come back, we find perhaps there's nothing very substantial or clear to come back to. 
So it can take a little while to, to readjust to this turnaround to being with oneself and with nobody else. In this return to ourselves and maintaining steadfastly the contact with ourselves, we're developing, as is traditional and is, is, is valuable, two aspects. One is calmness of being, being in touch with ourselves, at both physically and psychologically speaking, and the other is insight. And the insight aspect of it is the insight, one major area, with regard to self-knowledge. This connecting with ourselves and seeing what are the kind of movements in our mind which are taking place. Now one of the frequent ones which is taking place, and especially if one tends to have a lot of contact in life with others, is the form of dialogue, monologue or trialogue, whatever, that's going on inside of oneself. So one comes into a situation um, like here, and there is a social agreement to keep silence. And so each woman, each man engages in her or his uh, practice in a reasonably silent atmosphere. So there's no conversation going on outside. And so the mind says, right, if I can't get it outside, I'm going to create it inside. And so this is the substitute that one goes, that takes place. And as one of the people said in the uh, Budgaya uh, retreat two or three months ago, not only do I have to take, a, as it were, a vow of silence outside, I have to take a vow of silence in, in, inside myself as well, not to have conversations with various people that I know. So our internalized dialogue is or gives us the possibility and the potential to come to more self-knowledge. And self is always an image. It's an, it's an idea, and certainly a deeply rooted idea. And so within the inner conversation which is taking place, we are assuming and taking up some kind of role. We're taking up a kind of position. And that image which is occurring within ourselves, we have actively identified with and we have said, this is what I am in relationship to you, to them, to that person or whatever. So learning about ourselves and seeing the kind of image that we're creating, one of the ways that we can do that is by being aware of the internal dialogue because that is saying something about who we feel or think we are. And sometimes, of course, our internal dialogue and our everyday external dialogues are very similar. But sometimes, because of reactivity of the mind, our internal dialogues play a different role. So sometimes 
outwardly we can play the role of um, being um, very meek and um, passive and submissive and we react against that. So in our internal dialogue we, we like to come across as very authoritative and um, influential and having power and position and so forth. But in either case, both outwardly and inwardly, what kind of image do we create about ourselves? Now that image which we have with regard to our with regard to ourselves is is supported by a variety of feelings, positive and negative, by a variety of thoughts, by a variety of vested interests and desires, and all of that goes to prop up who we think we are, what we think we are, and maintain and support the whole structure and concept of self. So in speaking of self, at any level we're speaking of self, self-image, basically it means the same. There's a, a construction which takes place in our mental feeling field and this propels us to live and be what we think we are. Now within that, within that activity and especially a situation like here, as uh, several of you have uh, spoken about, tends to present for us a certain contrast to our ordinary everyday sense of who we are. And it's both, I feel, important to, to find out what the nature of life is, or to put it in another form of language, to really discover the emptiness of self. It's important for us to be able to see the appearance of it. And the appearance of it being that in our everyday life, being aware of what kind of role and position do we take. If we ask ourselves, when I think of myself in my everyday life, what arises? I might say arise as a a parent, as a, a teacher, as a traveller, or whatever. So there's a number of events, events taking place in one's life and there's a certain image that goes with it. And that image gives us the pretense of this is who I am. And with it can go certain influences and certain privileges, etc., etc. One comes into a situation like this and no matter what the skill that one has or what the knowledge or what the role that one has in one's everyday life, it's not particularly applicable in this situation. The fact that you are in the helping profession or the fact that you are a parent or the fact that you um, are unemployed or whatever the whatever it is, put oneself in a contrasting situation doesn't matter too much. 
So the role in the image and all that one is involved in temporarily has been put aside. It's a pity the mind doesn't realize this, isn't it? It's a pity that the role has got so much associated with it, so much has been built up to keep it and prop it up, that we can carry it, place it in here, and as it were, mentally once again, live out our, la our daily life role when it has no relevance to being here and now. Yet one wonders, looks at this situation and at this, this phenomena of the past into the present and the influence of it, and then one looks and one asks, can one actually be free from role? Can one actually, can there actually be a state of being in which there is no self-image whatsoever? Because as soon as we settle in here, and then the moment we cross our legs, or kneel, or sit, or whatever, we take up another role. And we take up the role of being the meditator. And this role of being the meditator, and all the image that goes with it, begins to operate so quickly. We haven't been in the place ten minutes, and we're sitting, and already, this is my space. And lo and behold, anybody who gets near this cushion. <laughs> so there's the role, there's the identification with it, the identification with the place. One has set one's boundary, one has established one's base, and here is one's identity. And the role too comes in with being the meditator and it comes in with being the successful meditator and the failing meditator. And it all depends on how strong the knee pains are or something like that. It's, it's all, it's the sense of, of the validity of the role and the worthwhileness of it and one's capability is determined so frequently by actually what's happening for us. So in the coming into the meditation hall or engaging in the walking meditation, it just takes a little while. And in a short period of time one is engaging in that and if it feels it's going well, the sense of the meditator becomes more and more affirmed. I am doing something, I am getting somewhere, this is really good for me, etc., etc. And that's, uh, so we feed into it through feeling good about our new role. But when it's going difficult, then this role that one has identified and taken up feels so much more unsatisfactory. So therefore the reaction to it is, I can't do this, I'm not good enough, I'm not ready, I shouldn't be here, whatever. All is tied to the image. And so our life rather easily gets spent in having a role, the image which accompanies that, that role, supporting it, 
and reacting to it. And when we look at it in that, in that way, it seems like there's no choice in the matter. It seems like, well, this constitutes the ebb and flow of our existence. Within that role and that image, and really uh, in these um, uh, uh, Dharma talks here, it's what they're supposed to do <laughs> is to try to shed light on a situation. In our shedding light on situation, with all the failings and the errors that one says in one's um, talking, in shedding light on a situation, Hopefully, in a small way for us, I mean, much for me who is speaking, as uh, for anybody who's uh, um, still listening at this time of day, um, in shedding light on the situation, hopefully it contributes to getting something more of a perspective. Getting more of a perspective is another way of saying that there's a little bit more detachment. One is not so completely involved, because there's a seeing, uh, this is a role, this is an image, this is a picture of myself, this is who I think I am. So there's a little bit more space inwardly to shed a little bit more doubt, rather than I'll just go on believing and acting as though the role is all that there is, all that counts. So the, the function of the, uh, the, the talks or or the Dharma is this, bring a little bit more light to bear. What else can it do? If it does that. <laughs> now, in this affirmation and, um, and build up of the role and the, and the potential, at least, to react to it, which can be constructive as well as um, uh, uh, unnecessary, we want, to we want to see in which ways do I build up the sense of the role. Now, sometimes and very, very frequently, because we are um, uh, social people as much as personal people, sometimes we build it up through the way that others relate to us. One can have what one, one would call a poor or a low self-image. It's a, an, an image, an idea, which has a charge of negative feelings about oneself, and we call this a low self-image. And so in our relationship to others, in our social reality, our mind very easily, almost magnetically, picks up on criticism, blame, feedback, rejection, all of which you and I have to face in life, everybody, we pick up on that and we use that to affirm the image which we have of ourselves. Often, of course, born out of the past, born out of childhood, if not before. 
And so if there is a tendency to be feel low or inferior or, um, or lesser in some way or other, correspondingly going with that will be a vulnerability to anything which is remotely negative. Or the situation may be with regard to this image which we, which we have of ourselves, which can be so, and which is in, in dialogue, internal dialogue, is getting reinforced again and again, is there can be an image of oneself of being influential or knowing or um, being in control or being in authority, wha whatever it might, might be. And we find ourselves rather easily looking for the affirmation from others so that this sense of one's importance keeps getting reaffirmed. And so the ego, in another way, builds up this image. And we find ourselves sometimes going back and forth between the two, two self-images operating, or sometimes one of them is more noticeable, more characteristic inside of ourselves. Self-knowledge is knowing that what's happening for us with our image and role very, very clearly. Not deceiving oneself not buying into. So any awareness in, in life includes a certain spaciousness within ourselves which at least is sufficient to A, to acknowledge that there is going to be image that we have. There's going to be roles and there's going to be forms of identification and so forth. But there is that spaciousness which when things are coming to us from the outside, positive and negative, praise and blame, pressure and comfort, we can see that more clearly without assimilating it in such a way that it creates trouble for ourselves either in the present or in the future. And there is much to be said in our relationship to life and, and others in a way that what's out there, pleasurable and painful, what's out there to have sufficient spaciousness to leave it out there. Otherwise, we martyr ourselves to life, to others. If we're in the helping profession, or we, or we end up feeling negative and down and a failure and self-destructive, 
if we've gone out to others and digested all that we hear. In this looking and finding, the, finding more spaciousness within, within ourselves and within these forms of ideas and uh, images which arise in ourselves, it also must come to much more subtle levels in life. It's not just the, these outer manifesta manifestations, but one sees that for something to take place inside of ourselves, Whatever it might be, it requires a situation to sustain it. It requires a focus to sustain it. It requires a desire, an interest, an energy. In other words, that when we are sustaining something about ourselves, and I'm, talki I'm talking about the healthy and the, and the good and the positive, as much as the unhealthy and the unnecessary, that when, when we are sustaining something about ourselves, we have a vested interest to do so. And the vested interest to, sus to sustain something is because somewhere or other it feels necessary. Sometimes it feels that we actually have no choice in it. <coughs> so sometimes we find ourselves engaging in things in life doing things purely to get attention. Or sometimes we find ourselves withdrawing and moving away from purely so that we don't have contact. We want to preserve something. And our meditation practice and the application of our attention is seeing and developing in a way to see what's actually been happening for us today. In our meditations today, in our sitting, in our walking, when we've been um, uh, e eating, when we've been waiting as it sometimes happens, wait, waiting, say, for uh, the interview, or waiting to, for the group discussion. What's, what, what, what's actually been happening for us internally before we go to, that, that, to the library, before uh, what one has come up to my room? You know, I, often, I often feel and, and, and say quite frequently, the best practice is never in the group. It's never in the in, in interview, we won't get anything out of those. The best practice is before, when you have the knowledge that you're going to have to come. And the very best practice is usually, you know, up to about half an hour before you come. So if you, sometimes a person is waiting outside the, the, the room, that's where the, the most self-knowledge will come. Direct waiting there. Sometimes it's agitation, impatience, God, he's so late, how long is he going to to be, what am I going to say, all this. All, some form of identification. One thinks one's waiting to see the doctor, or the, or the, or the headmaster, you know, or, or, or um, 
or whatever. And it's just a guy hanging out in his room, you know. <laughs> so sometimes it's, it's, it's within those situations we something internally begins to take, take place. It creates an unsettledness within one, oneself. And that settledness has got something to do with the mind state in relationship to. And that's where our practice is. And so I said, as I said to one or two people in the, in, in the, in the group today, look, if you're, having, if you're experiencing, as one person said, that uh, she was um, sitting um, here in the meditation hall, knowing full well, as others have expressed similarly, full well that at the end of the sitting there would be a group meeting together. And the, and the whole sitting wa was spent toiling over what she would say when she got in there. And I say to, to people like that, look, if that's actually the case for you, then I feel you should come regularly to as many group discussions as you like, preferably all those which are following a sitting. Because then, because the one sitting will have something really good to <laughs> work with and work on. So in, in a variety of situations in, here, we have the opportunity to see what kind of role we assume, whether it's the meditator role or being interviewed role or the group discussion role, whatever it might be, to see how we are in that situation, how we can work with that how we can apply awareness and observation and be in touch with and, and acknowledge rather than live in the agitation, live in the impatience, live in the fear or whatever it might be. And similarly here with, with, within the, the, the meditation hall it, it itself, so often, isn't it for us, this deeply rooted emotion or feeling of, with regard to fear. You know, easily um, acts as a, as a, a break. And, and again, something inside of us is taking place and say, perhaps we're sitting in the meditation hall and, and as it happens and necessarily so and valuably, valuably so that uh, there's some pressure, there's some tension, there is a w the wish to release some emotion. And then the thought arises, I can't do that in here. This is not the place to do, to do that. Or the thought arises, if I do that, then I'll be disturbing everybody else's meditation. If I do that, People will think I'm, I'm, I'm really uncool, or wh whatever it might be. And so there's a pressure there. There's a need for some release. Some, sometimes it's crying or wh whatever it form it might, might take. And then there's some fear of the reaction to that. Sometimes, again, out of a wholesome and caring interest, not wishing to disturb the practice of other people. 
if there is that pressure, and if one is feeling that, and that's what's happening here in this meditation hall, then that's what's happening. Forget the thought, forget the image, just experience what one is experiencing. The rest of us will be all right, you'll be all right, and that's what's happening for you. So, again, as I say, sometimes it's out of thoughtful considerations, still acts as a means of preserving or holding up that kind of image. We keep the image, in this case, out of thoughtful fear. In coming to, to, more, to the more subtle forms of awareness, not always more, more, more subtle, um, subtlety is um, completely related to the degree of investment. But let us say, when it comes to some more su subtle forms, whereby there's not so much an investment with regard to charge, or an investment with regard to a declaration, or a holding on to image, but rather sometimes in the more subtle forms, it's an image or an idea or a concept of oneself, which though isn't troublesome, still has a tendency to reinforce separation. In the countless ways that one can, one can do that, one might speak of it, say, say religiously. You know, I, I've sometimes uh, um, said, um, if there is the application of the Dharma to life, the Dharma is the teaching about reality. If there is the application of the Dharma to life, then you can't possibly, under any circumstances, be a Buddhist. They're complete opposites in terms. Because to be a Buddhist has a certain implication in it. And the implication being that this is what I am. So there is an image there. There's an association there, in that association there is a separation. There is a distinction. If I am this, then I am not that, and I am not that, and I am not that. So how many Buddhists are left here? <laughs> God, back to hell. Um, <laughs> so in, in looking at the more subtle forms that one, that one takes, you know, the, the subtle form may not be any charge, but just a kind of label which we assume ourselves to be. Also, belongs to the field of inquiry, belongs to the field of being free from. But it goes even more subtle that even when one identifies with one's gender, with one's nation, with one's birthplace, with one's family, or whatever. All of that has and does create the idea and the image through that form of identification. And it takes all of that to produce self. Self exists 
in the light and identification with all of that. And can't conceive of it without, without that. So in that respect, this sense of self which seems so separate and which we seem to have such a, a separate individual um, existence doesn't have any existence by itself. Doesn't exist by itself. It's built up upon. And take away the construct, take away the bringing together, take away the holding, take away all that we assume, see through all of that, and seeing through that shows it's all empty. Completely empty. And in that seeing and in the discovery which comes through that, through observation, inquiry and, and insight, there emerges, let us say, there, there comes a, a flowering in that emptiness of the idea, of the image, of the role. There comes a flowering of love. There comes a flowering of of compassion. There comes the maturing of, of balance in relationship to life. So let us look in our meditations very fully and, and totally and, and carefully at what is happening, both with regard to the breathing and that sustained observation of that and also the departures from it. Both are equally as important. Both can bring about tremendous revelation in life. And in that revelation, we, let us say, there is freedom from deception. The deception of self. And all that's implied and identified with it. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into images. May all beings be inwardly free.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.